0: Existe una conexión a lo largo de nuestras lecturas de hoy entre la muerte y resurrección de Jesús por un lado y nuestra respuesta como arrepentimiento por el otro. En la primera lectura, escuchamos en los hechos de los apóstoles, pero Dios ha cumplido así lo que había anunciado de antemano por boca de todos los profetas que su Cristo sufriría. Por tanto, arrepiéntete y conviértete para que tus pecados sean borrados. Nuestro evangelio tiene la misma conexión. Jesús declara que todo lo escrito acerca de mí... En la ley de Moisés y en los profetas y salmas debe cumplirse. Así está escrito que el Cristo sufriría y resucitaría de entre los muertos al tercer día y que el arrepentimiento para el perdón de los pecados sería predicado en su nombre. Es interesante para mí que la respuesta adecuada expresada en la primera lectura y el evangelio a la muerte salvadora y la resurrección de Cristo, siendo el cumplimiento de las Escrituras, es el arrepentimiento. Porque está la respuesta que se nos pide en lugar de amor, adoración o adoración. Sí, es misma. Hay tres razones que me destacan por qué nuestra respuesta adecuada a la muerte y resurrección de Jesús es el arrepentimiento. Primero, es una respuesta al gran amor de Dios por nosotros. Dios derramó su divinidad en la naturaleza humana. Luego se entregó a sí mismo como sacrificio por nosotros, por amor a nosotros y el deseo de salvarnos de nuestros pecados. ¿Cómo podría nuestra respuesta no ser de arrepentimiento, respondiendo al amor de Dios y resolviendo cambiar nuestra vida para actuar de acuerdo con ese amor? Una segunda razón por la que el arrepentimiento es nuestra respuesta. Es porque fueron nuestros pecados los que lo pusieron en la cruz y lo mataron, nos conduciría al arrepentimiento. En tercer lugar, la muerte y la, la resurrección nos lleva al arrepentimiento, porque nos da esperanza. Esperamos que nuestros pecados sean realmente perdonados. Si Dios pudo resucitar a Jesús de entre los muertos, no sólo como Lázaro, que moriría de nuevo, sino realmente Dios puede borrar nuestros pecados al ver al Señor resucitado sabiendo que Él fue transfigurado y glorificado y que esta forma sería la misma que nos sucederá algún día. ¿Cómo podemos dudar de que nuestros pecados en realidad están perdonados? Sin embargo, que nuestra respuesta debería ser el arrepentimiento. ¡Qué difícil es mantener esta respuesta! Uno de mis profesores en el seminario fue ministro, ministro protestante antes de su conversión al catolicismo. Fue su amistad con el Dr. Scott Hahn lo que eventualmente lo llevaría a la fe católica. Católica, lo siento. Dijo que una de, lo, de las ca- cosas que lo movieron a la conversión fue la dificultad que la gente tendría después del bautismo crea, como enseña la Biblia, que el bautismo es esencial para la vida y para Cristo y completamente transformador. Sin embargo, el problema surgió surgió cuando llevó a una persona a la pila bautismal, bautismal, pero volvieron a caer en las mismas luchas que tenían antes del bautismo. La tradición protestante carece carece de dos cosas clave. Primero, todo un sistema de moralidad que enseña sobre la importancia de la gracia de Dios y la necesidad de de que crezcamos en virtud para combatir el pecado. En segundo lugar, y lo que es más importante, los protestantes no tienen los sacramentos de la Eucaristía y la confesión para ayud- ayudar a fomentar la vida de gracia para que podamos sostener, sostener El crecimiento y la continua conversión Ahora no sé ustedes, pero mis confesiones que les hago a otros sacerdotes puedan pueden sonar igual. Recuerdo que las palabras de un sacerdote sobre este hecho fueron qué Quieres nuevos pecados? El punto estaba claro, pero muchas veces ni siquiera entendemos el crecimiento real que estamos experimentando tanto, incluso si confesamos los mismos pecados e incluso con la misma frecuencia relativa. Olvidamos que Dios no solo quiere que seamos libres del pecado, quiere que seamos santos. Esto significa que tenemos que crecer en nuestro amor y libertad, y a través del sufrimiento, la prueba y el sacrificio, nuestros corazones se expanden, Y transforman dios no simplemente elimina elimina una lucha tentación o sufrimiento sino que nos dé la gracia de soportarlo para que nos transforme cada vez más a su semejanza ¿Alguno de ustedes ha hecho pesas en gimnasio? ¿Cualquiera que haga pesas sabe la importancia de tener al alguien? Pesas no nos aplaste. Un buen observador, hacia el final de, lo, de las repeticiones, colocará uno o dos dedos debajo de la barra para ayudar a levantarla por completo las últimas dos veces. Este último esfuerzo para terminar las repeticiones es absolutamente esencial para un rápido crecimiento muscular. Incluso con solo colocar cinco libras de fuerza, podemos completar las repeticiones y desgarrar el músculo para que vuelva a crecer más fuerte. Sin esa ayuda que nos permita terminar las repeticiones, nuestro crecimiento es extremadamente lento. Así sucede con Dios en la vida espiritual. Si simplemente quitara la barra y las pesas, en realidad no nos haríamos más fuertes. Incluso si no podemos notar el crecimiento espiritual. Está allí. Dios proporciona suficiente gracia para permitirnos superar cada tentación y sufrimiento, pero también nos está guiando para que continuemos creciendo en amor y volviéndonos más fuertes. El El objetivo No es que nunca luchemos. El objetivo es que nos volvamos espiritualmente fuertes a través de nuestras luchas y crezcamos en virtud. Este es un cambio de juego. Esto nos recuerda que debemos entender que Dios no nos libra de la adversidad sino que nos libera a través de ella. Es un consuelo para nosotros que tengamos un gran crecimiento espiritual, incluso si parece que solo estamos levantado, levantando la misma cantidad de peso. Y nos recuerda la constante necesidad de arrepentimiento y la búsqueda búsqueda de su gracia a través de los sacramentos de la confesión y la Eucaristía. Como como diría San Juan María Vianney, uno de mis guías favoritos, no todos los que reciben con frecuencia los sacramentos, de la confesión y la Eucaristía se convierten en grandes santos, pero los santos siempre se toman de entre los que lo hacen. En inglés, unas palabras aquí. Gracias. I acknowledge this is Last Chance Mass, this is the last weekend of spring break also, so I wanted to give uh, some words in English also. Thank you for all who have made the commitment to come to Mass, even in the midst of break, so thank you to all of you. There's an interesting connection between our readings that the death and resurrection of Jesus in fulfillment of the scriptures is connected with a response from us of repentance, somehow, in Acts of the Apostles and in the Gospel, the moment that we receive that Jesus died and rose again on the third day is in accord with the scriptures, the immediate response asked of us is repentance, which is interesting because we would think it would be something like love or adoration or worship but there 's three reasons why I think repentance is the perfect response to seeing the fulfillment of Jesus' death and resurrection in accord with the scriptures. First, God's great love for us is demonstrated through the death and resurrection. How could we doubt the love he has for us? Once we receive this great love from Jesus, this act of love from God himself, we want to respond and act in accord with that great love. So repentance is a natural effect. In addition, our sins were the things that put him to death, that put him on the cross. So naturally, we have a sorrow for sins, the desire for repentance, because, after all, he paid for our sins on the cross. He's on the cross for for us, for our sins. That, of course, draws us to repentance. And then finally is hope. We hope in our forgiveness for sins for if God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, not just a resurrection like Lazarus, where Lazarus died again, but a true resurrection, how can we doubt to the power of God to wipe away our sins? Jesus is completely transformed bodily in his resurrection and glorified, manifesting such great power by God. How can we see the death and resurrection of Jesus not be struck by God's ability and power to forgive us our sins. Now, I remember a professor in seminary. He was a convert from Protestantism. He was a a Protestant minister before he became a teacher at seminary. And It was actually Dr. Scott Hahn who was instrumental in his conversion. This professor, one of the reasons he converted, he struggled as a minister with some principal things. So, for example... He was able to lead people to the baptismal font. Baptism is foundational for Christian life. But he found that once he got people to the baptismal font and they received baptism, that they would often go back to their old way of living. Whatever addictions they had, whatever sins they had in the past, they were struggling with those again. And he couldn't give advice. He was beside himself. Once baptism takes place, there should be nothing more. What else does a Protestant have? They're missing two things primarily. First is the incredible moral teaching that the church has, this coherent body of morality and human anthropology, what it is to be man to combat these sins through the virtues. There's not a sense of virtue in the moral life without the whole body of Catholic teaching and tradition. But the other thing, the main thing that a Protestant is lacking in dealing with this problem of backsliding into previous sins after conversion at baptism is the Eucharist and confession. Without these remedies of grace, it's very difficult to combat these sins and to be able to have true repentance in accord with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, But my sins are relatively the same confession after confession. So when I go to other priests and I tell them my sins, I sense a pattern. So I don't know if I'm alone in this, but it's been my experience. Now, some consoling words from a good old priest that he gave me was, what, you want some new sins? What are you talking about? And there's something true about that, right? We shouldn't find new sins. We shouldn't be discovering new ways to offend God. But it's still frustrating. However, God doesn't want us to be perfectly free from sin as his first objective. Yes, he does want us to be free from sin, absolutely. But there's something even more that he wants from us. He wants us to be holy. Now, to be holy means a whole lot more. Often we think... Our holiness is bound up with God simply delivering us from whatever suffering we're enduring, from whatever sin we're struggling with, whatever temptation we have. And yet, that's not God's methodology. Have you ever um, done bench press before? So I know it's odd giving me giving an analogy from bench pressing, but... Truth be told, some seminarians had mercy on me in the seminary and said, Father, let's, well, at the time, James, let's get you into the gym and we'll work on some building up some muscle. So in any case, this is where that analogy comes from. The role of a spotter when you're doing bench press. A spotter is someone who makes sure that the bar doesn't crush you, right? That's number one. But the important thing about having that spotter is that at the end of your reps when you can't get the bar up all of the way the spotter is meant to be behind with one finger under each side or with two just to give a little extra force so that you bring it all the way up and that's absolutely essential to grow muscle really fast at the end of the reps you need to finish them you need to complete the reps because that tears the muscle in the right way so it grows back very strong that's that extra force in pressure and it's maybe just five pounds, so you're lifting whatever, you know, you might be lifting 235, I'm working on, you know, 95, 120, who knows. In any case, that extra effort, it's so small, and yet that's what helps us grow our spiritual muscles. That's what helps us grow our real physical muscles. So if you get frustrated confessing the same sins over and over again, that doesn't mean you're not growing. God desires you to grow in virtue. He's giving you enough grace to overcome whatever you're dealing with, but grace so that you actually build up your own virtue, your own spiritual strength. If His goal was for you to not sin, He's all-powerful. He can just remove the temptation, remove the sin definitively. But if His goal is to stretch your heart, to grow in love and virtue, in your very humanity, So that you can be a saint, that requires something more, something a lot more difficult. Our hearts don't expand unless we sacrifice and have to endure great trials so that we can grow in love. That's the mystery of sanctity. So it should be no surprise God does the same thing with us. There's a line in 1 Corinthians that I found uh, very helpful in the midst of this. St. Paul talks about trial. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will let, not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what is this way of escape that allows us to endure temptation? And he says just two verses later, he gives the explanation of the way of escape. The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The way out, the thing that allows us to endure trial and temptation, is the Eucharist itself. That's the way of escape. That's the way out. That's why God gave us this great gift of the Eucharist to help us grow in holiness in the midst of our hearts being stretched through trial and adversity. He doesn't remove the trial and adversity. He makes us holy through the trial and adversity. Even the two disciples, how did they recognize Jesus in the road to Emmaus? It was through the breaking of the bread. That's where Jesus' presence is made known to us. It's through the Eucharist. So I want to leave you with this quote. It's from one of my favorite saints and patrons, St. John Vianney. He's the patron saint of parish priests, but now patron saint of all priests. And this is what he says. Not everyone who frequently partakes of confession and the Eucharist becomes a saint. But the saints are always taken from among those who do.